This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, our first episode of 2020. Happy New Year. This program will air every Wednesday evening, 6pm on RSN Carnival, digital radio in Melbourne and by the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. This program will also be available as a podcast from Thursday mornings via the iHeartRadio website and app, also available as a download via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud and Spotify. So what's coming up on our first episode? Well, our first featured guest is going to be a former hockey roo, former North Melbourne Tasmanian AFLW footballer and current Essendon VFLW club best and fairest, Georgia Nanscorn. We're also going to check in what's been happening with NT women's football over the last couple of months with Jackson Clark. And we've got regional and national tournament dates on the USAFL with Brian Barish. We'll be coming up near the end of the program. But first, we need to cover about two months' worth of women's footy news since our last episode aired back in late October. So over the last two months, there's been quite a number of AFLW footballers that have confirmed that they will not be partaking in season 2020 or will have a delayed start for quite a number of reasons. We begin, first of all, with Jess Duffin. Now, many thought that she might miss the 2020 AFLW season due to a possible selection for Australia in the Women's T20 Cricket World Cup coming up around February, March. Instead, she'll miss the season because she's pregnant. She's expecting a child in July with her husband Chris. Congratulations to Jess and hopefully we'll see her back out in the footy field in 2021. Ash Utree has found it a bit of a struggle to try and balance hockey and football and for the moment she has put her football career on hold and will not be playing with the Western Bulldogs in the 2020 season. Monique Conti may be missing up to three games in the AFLW season due to commitments in the WNBL. The Boomers are doing well as of recording. They're sitting second on the WNBL ladder and the semi-finals for the WNBL commence around round two of AFLW. So the Tigers could be almost half a season without one of their star recruits. For the GWS Giants, they have lost their inaugural captain, Amanda Ferrugia. The Fridge announced on November 24th that she'd be retiring from AFLW football. This is Amanda giving her retirement speech to her teammates and coach. This audio courtesy of the GWS Giants. I get up and speak in front of everybody quite often, um, but... This one has a bit of a different flavour to it. Um, And I'll try and compose myself. A lot of you might have known at the end of 2018 that our season didn't go the way we wanted it to. And um, I mean, that's in the past and we're moving forward. But as somebody who was involved with that experience, um, I sort of made a personal commitment to myself that I'd do everything that I could to be a better player. And from my perspective, that involved playing as much footy as I could, running and weights and all that sort of stuff that you've all been doing. But what's happened on the back of that is um, a bit of motivation and desire to play for the club um, and lead the team to the standard that I personally want to has waned a little bit. As a leader of the group, I want to set the bar as high as I can. And if I can't meet that personally, how the hell can I expect any of you to do that either? So on the back of all of that, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I won't be continuing with the 2020 season and I'll be retiring from footy. (sighs) Which is very difficult. The main reason why it's so difficult is because of all of you. You can have very long careers or can end pretty quickly. And I'm lucky that I got three really, really good years. It's been some of the best years of my life and it's changed my life. You're all exceptional people. Um, And I'm just so proud to have called you my teammates. Um, To my husband, Dan, that's why you're here. You have stuck through me with absolutely everything, particularly the hard times. And I know sometimes it's hard to know what to say, but even in your silence, you've said everything because um, sometimes I just need you to stand next to me and that's enough. So thank you so much. I guess there's probably one more person that I should be thanking and it's Alan. Alan came into the coaching space of the Giants and um, 
he's a pretty intimidating character at the beginning, but you learn quite quickly that he's a man that exudes a lot of passion for everything that he does and his genuine care and love for what we do as female football players is uh, second to none. And so at 34 years old, I can now say that I have a mentor and it's Alan. It's not the best timing, but it still has to happen this way. Um, thank you for your belief in me, for making me a better football player, um, for getting the best out of myself. I appreciate that greatly. Thank you. Sadly, knee injuries have claimed a number of AFLW footballers during the pre-season. Alicia Jantz, rack for the West Coast Eagles, after crossing over from Fremantle, has confirmed that she will not be partaking in the 2020 season. Over the Christmas New Year period, the Melbourne Demons confirmed they had lost two players in Shay Sloan and Catherine Smith, who had both done their ACL. And Melbourne's rack, Lauren Pierce, also had some minor surgery done on her knee, and she looks like missing the first three to four matches of the 2020 season. Also having some minor surgery done on her knee was Crow's superstar in Erin Phillips. She had a bit of pain around uh, mid-December and required some minor surgery that may delay her start. She was originally hoping to try and be back in the early stages of the 2020 season. In a cruel blow, her co-captain in Chelsea Randall did her ACL in late November. The fifth Crow to have an ACL injury in the last 12 months. Uh, Chelsea will be out for the season and here's Chelsea speaking on her Instagram account thanking all the Crows supporters uh, family and friends and everyone for giving her some love and support when the bad news came through hey guys just want to say thanks for all your messages love support and um, thoughts that you've been sending my way the past week or so after doing my knee um, obviously pretty devastating but um you know, we'll be back out there soon enough. And uh, at the moment, just hanging in Perth and get to hang out with this little guy. This is Josh, one of my best mates' son. He's about three weeks old, I reckon now. So I've yeah, been helping out there and um, back to Adelaide tonight. Uh, see everyone on the training track soon enough and doing a couple of weeks of prehab um, just to, before surgery. So um, there's a bit of research to say that'll help me out in the long term and I've got the time, so I may as well take advantage of it. Um, and go from there. But uh, yeah, anyway, uh, I just thought I'd update you all and, and thank you very much for your messages. The AFL and Richmond have confirmed that the two Richmond AFLW home games that were meant to be played at Punt Road Oval against the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos and Brisbane Lions respectively have been relocated to Princess Park in Carlton. This is due to concerns about capacity issues at Punt Road Oval. Richmond do have two other home games, but they were scheduled originally away from Punt Road. That is the season opener against Carlton. Despite it being Carlton's home venue, it's classified as a Richmond home game and in round four their match against Geelong was scheduled at the QEO in Bendigo. Turning our attention to State League football and what a coup for Hawthorne and their VFLW program. Their new senior coach is former Adelaide AFLW Premiership coach in Beck Goddard. She'll be taking over the Hawks. In fact, as we speak, she is making her way down to Melbourne to head up that program. She takes over from 2018 Hawthorne VFLW Premiership coach in Patrick Hill who, who accepted a job as an assistant coach with St Kilda's AFLW program. Heading up north to Queensland and the Bond University QAFLW will start earlier in 2020. The season will kick off on the weekend of February 29, March 1 to coincide with round four of the AFLW season. It's very similar to the Sandville W, which is a competition which runs closely aligned to the AFLW. And while we're up in Queensland, it's going to be the host venue of the AFL International Cup. This is the first time the AFL International Cup will be played solely in a state outside Victoria. The host city will be Maroochydore and it will play host from July 25th to August 8th from teams right across the world. They are expecting eight women's teams to be partaking in the tournament. The official confirmation has yet to come out from the AFL. And that is what's been making women's footy news over the last two months. 
And joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. She played more than 200 games for the Hockey Roos before making the switch to Australian Rules Football. First with Swan Districts in the then WAWFL and then, of course, making her debut at AFLW level with North Melbourne before last year winning the best and fairest with the Essendon Football Club. It's great to have on the line Georgia Nanscorn. Georgia, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on the line. Happy New Year. And and first of all, straight off the bat, congratulations on winning the club best and fairest with Essendon last year. Oh, thank you very much. Um, you know, happy New Year to you too. And yes, thank you. It was certainly um, you know, a nice little surprise at the end of a, a very enjoyable season. Let's jump back a bit to talk about your sporting background, obviously, before you came into uh, Aussie rules. Uh, you're originally a, a hockey player. If I'm correct, you, you picked up the sport from as young as about eight or nine years old. Uh, probably even a little younger. It was about um, five that I was officially officially signed up to um, a club playing in the under nines as a five-year-old. Um, but my mum played and pretty much from a, when I was, the moment I was born, I was down now and met her training sessions with a stick in hand. So it was probably pretty natural that um, hockey was the sport that I that I took up at a young age. Was it a laser-like focus for hockey? Or was there other sport in your background, particularly going through your school years? Yeah, I, I think hockey was, was really the main one. Um, I played a little bit of tennis uh, as a junior as well, again, because mum played um, through school. I, I, you know, I, I love pretty much all sports. Um, you know, I would kick a soccer ball around and kick a footy as well. Um, but I think because I experienced a little bit of success at a, a quite a young age with, with hockey, um, that, that really did take my focus, um, you know, yeah, most of my focus for, for most of my life. As I read in an article somewhere, you did have a taste for footy early. I'm led to believe you were knocking the balloon around the lounge room and jumping all over your dad's back. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, poor dad, probably uh, his back never really recovered from the attempted speckies um, that, that I would take. I mean, I'm probably the only speckies I'm ever going to take is a balloon on Judge back. But, uh, yeah, I've always had a bit of a love for footy, I guess, you know, growing up in Victoria. Um, but because hockey took off at such a young age um, and I guess there's not the pathways that there was um, in place now that, you know, I never really, really took it much further than a, a kick around the schoolyard. Of course, you'd go on to be one of the youngest ever players to represent the Hockey Roos at just age 17. In fact, a day after your 17th birthday. Yeah. As we mentioned, the youngest to get to 100, you would go on to play um, 200 uh, matches. But I, I, f- I found interesting when your career was coming to an end, you talk about falling out of the love with the sport. Yeah. And this, of course, could be true for any athlete across any sport. Uh, and, it's, sure. and it will happen to those that play football at some stage. Can, can you talk us through that moment of what it's like when the realisation comes comes to hand that I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty um, hard fact to face. I guess, as I said, like hockey has pretty much been my life and um, to play hockey for Australia in the Olympics was pretty much my dream um, as soon as I could remember. So um, to, to spend so much of your life doing something that you, 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 you do love um, and then to get to that point where you realise that, you know, those, those feelings aren't there anymore. And I guess... Um, you know, I'd probably been, uh, you know, didn't want to face that fact for a little while, and I and I kept turning up and turning up to train and and going through it all. Um, but I think deep down knew that um, my heart wasn't really in it, and and I guess the easiest way to say it was just I I wasn't excited to wake up to go to train anymore, and I think that that's the, the you know what it comes down to. And I mean, you're not paid a lot of money to play hockey, so it really is for the love and the experience and, and really with any sport. And as you said, um, you know, it's quite common in footy as well. But as soon as you're not loving playing sport, I think that's the moment um, to do something else. Now, as you mentioned, you grew up in Brunswick, but you found yourself over in WA. Am I correct of not only for study through Curtin University, but that was due to hockey with Rick Charlesworth being over in WA? Yeah, so I grew up in, grew up in North Melbourne, um, headed over to Perth when I was, uh, 18, so fixed in the hockey route, 16, but I was in year 11 at the time. So um, the coach at the time, Frank Murray, uh, allowed me to finish my schooling um, before having to head over to Perth. So once I finished, um, yeah, left mum and dad here and, and moved over. So the, yeah, the, the, the AIS for hockey is based over in Perth. And I think at the time, you know, people ask why it's over in WA. And, and at the time, um, I think influential figures such as Rick Charlesworth uh, were a big reason as to why it did go to Perth. So 
um, you know, lovely place. Uh, I think the only negative being so far away from your family at um, you know, a young age can be a bit difficult. But um, fortunately, had a really good support network. Um, and obviously, with all the team over there, um, you know, to settle me in. We'll talk about in a moment's time uh, comparing training for hockey and for Aussie rules, but let's talk about your time in Perth while you're at Curtin University. I believe you were studying a, a Bachelor of Arts, uh, particularly in advertising and in graphic design, which was a passion of yours. And I believe on the side as well, you were a part-time baker. Yeah, um, so I think I think the course was something like graphic design or communications. I mean, it's so, so long ago now that I'm... I don't even particularly really remember the, the course name, but I only got through a semester or two of that and um, because then we hit 2012, which was Olympic year, and I had to defer or study. Um, and by the time I sort of got back to going to do it, I probably realised that graphic design wasn't what I really wanted to do anymore. And I, and I did discover a little bit of a love of food. And um, actually, in, yeah, my last year uh, in the program, I, I worked as a baker, so... Um, we'd have the 5am, 4am starts and then um, work a few hours there and then head off to training in the afternoon. So, um, But I think that was almost part of the realisation that maybe I was starting to find other things um, in life and it wasn't all just about hockey, which it predominantly had been for the time that I was over in Perth. I was essentially a full-time hockey player. So I think to find discover something else since in life was, um, yeah, maybe a little bit of the, the catalyst for... You know, making that change. And we should say, you've managed to parlay that um, uh, graphic design work and as well as um, your experience as a baker into your own little website as well, <laughs> littlepippincreations.com. Yeah, yeah. It uh, hasn't been particularly active at the moment, but uh, particularly during my time um, with the hockey when I had a little bit more time on my hands, yeah, I certainly enjoyed um, sharing some of my creations uh, with my teammates and, and with whoever else wants to see them, I guess, you know, I, I do have a huge love of food and um, I love to eat, but uh, I try to focus on, I guess, a healthier spin on, um, you know, treats. So, yeah, I, I did a bit of that and, and also incorporated some of, my, um, some of my design into there and did a few logos for, um, for yeah, some of my teammates. So, yeah, a little side hobby, which um, certainly kept me entertained. Let's talk about... 2018 being that crucial year, as we alluded to earlier, you'd fallen out of love with the sport because that was a pivotal year, not just starting with Swan Districts and being signed for North Melbourne for 2019, but you could have gone down the other road with hockey because hockey uh, was going to be on the Gold Coast for the Commonwealth Mm. Games. That must have been hard to turn down, being able to have such a major event in front of a home crowd. Yeah, I mean, I made the decision to step away from hockey and then she's 2017, fully knowing, um, you know, the year ahead. So not only the, the, the home com games on the Gold Coast, but then also the World Cup, which essentially next to the Olympics is the biggest event for hockey. Um, and knowing both those events coming up in 2018, some people, um, yeah, question why why I made the decision. But, um, yeah, I mean, in the end, it really did just come down to a gut feeling and, and what I, you know, and, and what was going to make me happy. And, and as I said, I realised that, that playing hockey and training every day wasn't making me happy. And um, when I looked at it that way, it was, you know, a pretty pretty easy decision to, um, to step away. So you'd make the switch to Aussie rules and playing with the Swan Districts Football Club at that stage being coached by the women's footy legend herself and Nicole Graves and future yeah. stars there and Cara, Cara and Ebony Antonio, Chelsea Randall, Kirby Bentley had gone through and played yeah. for Swan Districts. Many great players had, had played there. Uh, what was the initial path of you getting to Swan Districts? I think um, it was actually when I, when I stopped playing hockey, I basically made the decision that I just wanted to play sport for fun again. And um, and as I said earlier, like I always had a love for kicking a footy round. So I was pretty set on I wanted to just play some club football. And um, yeah, really, I think I just messaged a friend who I, I knew had some contacts in football and said, you know, where, where do you think? And I think she actually put me in touch with um, with Cara and Allen. And I, I think I sent her a message on Instagram saying, hey, I'm kind of interested in coming down. She's like, yep, these are the, the dates. And yeah, it turned up, and um, as you said, like Gravesy being the coach um, was absolutely fantastic for me as someone who was very new to the sport, and as you said, has a wealth of um, of knowledge in women's football. So I think it really was the perfect 
club to go to and 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 again as you mentioned had quite a number of um you know really strong players unfortunately the season i played i think both uh Tara and ebony were injured so i didn't actually get to play alongside them but it was certainly um wonderful to have those experienced players around me as i was starting to learn the game Obviously, you had the fitness space coming into the game from your hockey background, playing at such an elite level. But for you, how long did it take to get comfortable with, A, the skills, but B, also the game plan of where to position yourself? I think um, I was quite comfortable with a lot of it from the start. Um, in terms of game plan, obviously, you know they are very different sports, but a lot of the, the principles are the same in terms of you know playing to space and spatial awareness on the ground. So I think having a team sport background certainly certainly helped. Um, and then it was, I guess, yeah, just refining the, the tactics and um, the, the small bits involved in all that. Um, in terms of, like, fitness and physicality, certainly uh, the body contact was something to get used to. But, um, you know, I'm not mean one to shy away from a tackle and, and it's actually one of the parts of the game that I enjoy the most um, is that body contact. So... Um, yeah, I think the first few games I felt like I'd you know, been hit by, by a bus. But, um, you know, I reckon pretty quickly got used to it. And, and yeah, as I said, I think the physicality of the, the footy um, is something that I really enjoy. During the middle of that season, Nicole Graves would end up giving up the coaching reins because she would take on for a year being as general manager of women's football at Carlton. It was like the master and the apprentice with Cara Donnellan, now Cara Antonio, taking over the role as coach. Can you, can you explain, I guess, the different philosophies of coaching styles? Or were they very much in sync of what Nicole and, and Cara were coaching and trying to get out of you as a footballer? Yeah, I mean, I think um, Juddy, obviously, having been mentored by um, Nicole Graves for such a long time, probably did follow a lot of those philosophies, um, similar philosophies. Uh, I think in the end, I, what I found with Juddy is just the passion that she had for it and, um, you know, that she just wanted people to love being out there and love playing for Swans. And, um, you know, and that's exactly what I wanted at the time, I think, um, having been so heavily... You know, with the hockey, it was a full-time thing and we were always in meetings and being bombarded with all this information. It was kind of nice just to, to go over to Swans and really play a lot more on, you know, feeling and, and, you know, enjoying it and just being happy rather than being so bogged down on, you know, tactics and, um, you know, all, all those sort of things. So, yeah, I certainly got a lot out of being coached by both um, both Cara and, um, and Grazie and, yeah, I think it was is real was really good for me as the first introduction into into football. That was a great introduction to prepare you for AFLW, but when you were actually just beginning with Swan Districts you actually signed a North Melbourne AFLW rookie contract. Now, we should mention yeah. there's a link with you and North Melbourne through former Melbourne University Women's Football Club president and your old schoolmate in Laura Kane. Yeah, yeah um, so that was all a bit strange how it happened. Um, I actually got a message from um, you know, the North recruiting team uh, reached, uh, I think it was about in February of that year of 2018 so it was before I'd even made um, any public decision to play football at any level and it was basically a message saying hey, um, are you interested in playing football? And I was like funnily enough, yeah, I'm going to play um, over in Perth and, and um, you know my, as I said, my family we still live in North Melbourne, so it seemed like the absolute perfect um, opportunity to, to take that up. And, um, you know, I always wondered what how Reese actually found me. And when I made the connection with, with Laura Kane, um, I assumed that she must have slipped my name. But it actually came out later that that wasn't the case. I think Reese came to Laura saying, I found someone, I found this girl that we might be able to get over. And her name's Georgia. And Laura's like, yeah, yeah, I coached her in uh, year nine football at school. So... Um, it was all a bit bizarre how it happened, but um, yeah, certainly, uh, yeah, a, a really good opportunity to, and and particularly to get me back um, back home with with my family. So you would end up playing under Scott Gowans at North Melbourne. Can we talk about the transformation of uh, uh, being, of course, an international level hockey player and a national level uh, Aussie rules player about how they try and prepare you? For example, how much training do you do per week when you're playing hockey compared to Aussie rules? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest difference um, 
purely for the fact that the hockey was a professional program and we were basically being paid to be full-time athletes. Whereas with the football, it's still in such its early stages. Um, you know, you're only contracted for 15 hours a week and most people work a full-time job around that. So at football, we would train, uh, so the hockey, we, we would train six days a week, often twice a day, you know, with a training session in the morning and then um, on the field and then a gym in the afternoon. So that very much was a full-time, full-time gig. And then coming over to footy, as I said, 15 hours a week. So it was, you know, three or three afternoons maybe. And if you can fit in a couple of gyms around it. So I guess purely from that factor, um, the hockey was a, a much larger commitment, but it really is just the where where they both sports are in you know in their development. Um, you know, hopefully in a few years' time, football we will be able to you know AFLW players will be able to be full time athletes and um, you know have a commitment similar to the men's. What are they trying to get out of you physically from both sports when they prepare you? Are they trying to, in hockey, I guess, try and make you more of a leaner build and perhaps in Aussie rules trying to add more carbs and trying to bulk up more muscle on you? Yeah, well, certainly through our hockey, my hockey career, the, the focus was on being lean and, and, um, and just pure, like just an all-round athlete. Um, you know, you have to be able to be quick. You have to have endurance. With hockey, particularly in the position I played, I was a striker. Um, it was a lot of repeat effort sprints, so I would come off you know, absolutely exhausted because you really don't stop. And then going across the footy, even though it's a bigger field and playing in the midfield, you probably cover more Ks, but you don't have those. Those I, I didn't find those high intensity efforts as much as hockey. So, um, but yeah, it's certainly putting on a bit more muscle. Like you have to prepare your body to be smashed around. Um, yeah, particularly those inside mid positions. So, yeah, certainly putting on a little bit more bulk um, was the focus for, for the footy programming. So you'd played two games with North Melbourne in the AFLW, one against Carlton and one against Melbourne. What do you recall of your debut against the Blues at North Hobart Oval? Um, and there was a lot of nerves um, going into it. I I actually, I, I think I sat the first 14 minutes on the bench. So um, it was actually quite a difficult game to get into and, and playing as a small forward, um, as most small forwards would know, it's not the most rewarded position because you're never exactly the target. So uh, it was a little bit difficult to get into and I guess settle those nerves, um, you know, when all you want to do is get out there and get a touch and, it, um, you know, it, was quite hard to find find the ball, but uh, I think really ma- the main thing I, I felt from it was um, you know, just the pride of being part of a team for you know their, the first ever game. Um, I remember sitting in the rooms at the start and we watched um, a bit of a, a video presentation that the, um, you know the, the IT team had put together, and just to get everyone up and about. And um, I remember in that room at the time, it wasn't just the players and the, the coaching staff, but pretty much, you know, Laura Kane and all the, and, and that, um, you know, our operations manager and all the people that had been involved um, in getting north to to that point. So, um, yeah, I just remember that being a really special and quite emotional moment um, that we were part of that and sharing, sharing that moment together. What's it like trying to, I guess, fight for a spot in the side and at the same time being friends with and training alongside some uh, great women's footballers, particularly in the midfield yeah. when you look at North Melbourne, yeah. when you talk about Jess Trent, Sophie Abitangelo, Jenna Bruton, Jazz Grierson, uh, I'm only just scratching the surface. And, of course, the, yeah. the, the, the most famous of them all at that stage was the reigning AFLW best and fairest in Emma Carney. Yeah. I mean, I knew... Um when I went to North that it was going to be a very strong team. And I, and I think that was one of the appealing things that I was going in, putting myself against the best that, that there was. Um, yeah, they made no secret of the fact that they were, in, you know, recruiting very heavily. And, um, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's the way it was. I, I, I wanted to go into it and pretty much give it no, you know, leave no stone unturned and, and if I could get a game, fantastic. And if I can't, well, I know that I've done everything I can. And it's because, you know, we have a really strong team and, um, you know, and I can't fit in, in and, and get a spot. And, that, and that's just the way it is. And, um, you know, I think leaving leaving that north and, and that season, uh, I, I feel I did exactly that. I, I don't think I could have done anything more. And 
um, my attitude around it all and I guess my work ethic and all the things I've learned from being you know, an elite athlete for so long. Um, you know, I definitely don't have any regrets with anything that happened um, with that experience. Uh, what were your thoughts when obviously you had to have the sit-down meeting with Scott and Scott said, unfortunately, we can only keep 23 players on the list and you're number 24. What yep. were your thoughts post that of where you wanted to go in football after hearing that news? Um, I mean, I probably didn't come as much of a shock. Um, yeah, as I said, like, I only played the two games and, and didn't get a, a huge opportunity through through the season. Um, so when, when that decision decision was made, um, as I said, wasn't particularly shocked and, and fully understood that that, you know, as you say, you can only have a certain amount on the list and, and that's um, the way it was. Uh, I think for me, I just had to think about what, um, you know, really the reason why I, I started playing football in the first place and it was to, you know, for that, just to enjoy sport again and, and be able to have fun and um, play with freedom. And, and I felt that maybe that was, whether it was the title of ASLW and, and the pressure that I know that I put on myself in being in a, I guess, elite environment. Um, you know, I wasn't too, too phased. I, I, I was, I really just wanted to go to a club that, um, you know, I knew I, I just go have fun at. And, um, and that was in my mind to be, to go to a club that didn't have an ASLW association. So, um, there's only obviously a few left in Victoria and Essendon was one of them. And, um, and I actually played for uh, the captain of uh, Essendon at the time. Um, oh, sorry, wasn't at the time, but played for Essendon. It was Courtney Eugle. She is now our current captain. And I actually played a couple of games with her over in, in Perth with the Swan District. So she was really the only other contact I had in, had in Melbourne. And I shot her a message and said, hey, what do you think, um, you know, about the Essendon vibe? And, yeah, what do you reckon? And she said she'd been loving it and had a great coaching staff and really good group of girls. And, why not come along and see what you think? So, um, yeah, sh- shot the um, coach, Brendan Major, a message, said, can I come down? And, yeah, it all, all kind of went from there. We'll have more of our interview with Georgia Nanscorn, including her time at Essendon. And did she or didn't she put her hand up for October's AFLW draft right after this? We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at alnf.org. You're listening to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. We're chatting with Essendon VFLW Club Best and Ferris for 2019 and former hockey roo Georgia Nanscorn. We, we talked about earlier about being in an, in an intimidating environment going to North with all the stars. Is it also mm-hmm. intimidating the other way when you're going to Essendon where you've got to take that big, deep breath and go, all right, we're starting from the bottom of the ladder and we've got to work our way up? <laughs> Oh, for sure. Um, but I think that was exciting. Like, I, I'm not a, a super, I guess, loud out there person. I'm quite happy to go about my business and, I guess, be noticed through my actions rather than trying to be, you know, louder and bigger than everyone else. So I was quite happy to, to go in and, and know that, I well, I've got to prove myself. Like, what I've done means absolutely nothing. Um, you know, I still probably, even though I was coming from AFLW, I hadn't played. I'd played less than 10 games of football in my whole life. Um, so, yeah, I was absolutely starting from the bottom. And, and I think that was the exciting thing that I could go in and just do my thing. And um, and even now, I'm just so thankful of, um, of Brendan Major and um, and the girls for just being so welcoming and, um, and accommodating and, yeah, just giving me an opportunity, really. Is there a special bond between that Essendon midfield? It's almost the mosquito fleet when you talk about the smaller <laughs> players such as yourself, yeah. Courtney Eugle, Cecilia McIntosh, and a player yeah. we lovingly call the serial pest, Shay Audley. <laughs> she is a serial pest and we love her for it. She's certainly a person that you'd love to be on her team and not against her. But yeah, I mean, height's um, probably not one of our uh, <laughs> strong points. I think we certainly make up for it in, um, you know, in our attitude and determination. And as you said, like... You know, or being such a jogger, um, 
play to play on. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I love it. I, I think that was one of the things I enjoyed the most about being at Essendon was just the vibe with the girls. And, um, yeah, I'm certainly looking forward to what we can do, um, you know, coming 2020 and, and hopefully beyond with that group. We know you just missed out on the finals, but w- and I know they rested a number of players that day, but what does it mean to at least come away from the season, not only with a few wins, but that notch in the belt that you were one of the few sides to actually knock off the Premiers throughout the year? Yeah, I mean, as you said, they, they probably did rest a, rest a few, but you can only play against the team that's on the, the field at the time. And um, I just remember, like, that was just such a, a, a turning point for us as a team. Like, I think the confidence, we had a few... Um, narrow losses against St Kilda where maybe we were, we were in a position to win and, and we um, you know you do have to learn how to win a game and how to close out a game and um, to be able to just have a really comprehensive performance against Collingwood from the start to the finish I think has gone a long way to building the confidence in our group and to believe that yeah we actually can challenge the best teams and um, yeah going into this season Year, I think we'll be very, very disappointed if we if we can't make finals because um, the progression that I think we've seen from year one to year two with Essendon um, and then going into year three, yeah, I think I think we're looking, um, you know, really good, and I'm I'm very excited to see what's going to come. How do you look back at your uh, involvement as a player over the past 18 months from Swan Districts to North Melbourne to Essendon mm-hmm. where you finished uh, as best and fairest, seven votes ahead of Canadian Kendra Heil, 197 votes to 190. You were named as the uh, centre in the VFLW Team of the Year and you averaged 17 disposals and seven tackles during the 13 matches you played with the Dons in the VFLW this year. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all a bit of a whirlwind really like um, going over to when I started with Swans and I guess I was thrown into the midfield um, and and absolutely loved, loved that and then going across to um, North and as we mentioned a very strong midfield group so it was always going to be hard to, to crack in there and playing as a small forward probably wasn't um, my most suited position but you know you go where you get put um, but then to go to Essendon and really yeah, I was, I was pretty strong when I went in and said, no, I want to play as a midfielder. I want to be inside mid. And credit to the coaches, they gave me that opportunity. Um, and, yeah, I, I feel that I was able to develop really well more just because I felt that I had the confidence, um, like that people were confident in me. And, um, you know, I had the trust of my teammates and the coaches. And, and in the end, I just played with freedom. I didn't overthink things. I was just happy being there and I think in any sport people play the best when they're happy and, and enjoying what they're doing and yeah I really loved loved every minute and, and I know like I still only played I don't know less than 20 games at football in my life I know I have so much um, you know development left in me and I'm just really excited to um, to get back out there next year Let's talk about the draft for a moment that happened in October uh, can you confirm, did you or didn't you put your hand up for this year's draft, or should I say the 2019 draft? No, I didn't nominate for the draft. What prevented you from putting your hand up? Because after that fantastic season you had for yeah. Essendon, everyone thought, oh, that's it, the hat's back in the ring, she's going to get picked yeah. up again. And when your name didn't get called out, there was a few people looking yeah. around going, what's happened here? Yeah, I um, I had been approached by a couple of clubs uh, in the lead-up to the draft, that I, I think. People look at numbers and I guess winning the best of Paris being in the team, it's like they're all appealing things. And um, I, I get, yeah, as I said, did have a couple of clubs come to me and it did make me think, um, Aaron, consider it again. But as I said at the start, like I just had to be pretty true to myself and think about well, why I'm actually playing uh, playing football. And, and it does go back to just enjoying it and loving where I am. And, and I had such a fun season at Essendon. It was probably... And I've openly said it, probably the happiest that I've been in a very long time, just playing sport. Um, and and I thought, well, why would I? Why would I change that? And why would I go somewhere else? Um, you know, I feel that Essendon, in its coaching group, in its facilities, in its programs, um, has just as much to offer as any AFLW club. And it's just without the the title of being AFLW. And I honestly felt I didn't need. You know, that to boost my ego or I didn't need to try to prove that I could do it again. I'm 
you know, I just had such a good time playing with Essendon and I, I felt, well, why would I, why would I give that up if it's making me happy? You talk about not needing any other clubs, but there is two clubs in your background with a little bit of history. Let's first of all talk about one of them. You have a tie to the Geelong Football Club. Yeah, so my great-great-uncle uh, was Edward Carge Grief. He won the first Brownlow medal. So, um, yeah, all my my mum's side of the family are pretty um, heavy Geelong supporters, as you would imagine. So, yeah, a little, little tie to the cats there. And on the other side of the equation, you're actually a Melbourne supporter. Yeah, I'm a pretty die-hard, um, sad Melbourne supporter at the moment. But, um, yeah, very, very loyal Melbourne supporter. Um, yeah, so, yeah. I need to find out if you're a true Melbourne supporter. You've never taken a cheese platter to a game, have you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, no. And I don't have a, and a ski resort holiday place either. So, <laughs> so maybe not a true Melbourne supporter, but uh, <laughs> I'm very loyal. You, you, you've got ahead of me there. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll speak to this in, in, in a hypothetical sense. Yeah. We heard some sad news, obviously, during the week that both uh, Shay Sloan and uh, Catherine Smith-Smitty yeah. won't be playing for Melbourne this year due to ACL injuries Um, and that means obviously I believe on the list rules that allows them to be covered Um, if the Melbourne Football Club were to pick up the phone and say hey Georgia do you want to come play for the club you support is it a phone call you'd take Uh, I'd politely take it and I'd politely decline it yeah I uh, as I said I'm very confident in in my decision to stay at Essendon and um yeah, I, as loyal as I am to Melbourne, I think I'll just have to support them from afar. And, um, and, and yeah, as I said, I, I don't think I can imagine myself going anywhere else at the moment. Just before we go, quick some quick tidbits about you that we noticed from the SBS Zella website. There was a project mm-hmm. that happened to run in 2016. You'll surely happen to write a couple of stories for them as well. Um, like Karen Perkins, who wrote his name on his milk, you've written your name on a product. Have I written my name on a product? The oh, Georgia, well, the Georgia Nanscorn signature stick yeah. from Edge Hockey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we Edge was my sponsor at the time, and um, they had a great initiative to have a signature stick for their 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 players, and um, and the proceeds went to a charity of our choice. So, mine was the Orangutan Foundation. Um, uh, being a proud redhead, uh, I'm love supporting them and yeah so I do have my signature on on a range of hockey sticks which is pretty exciting and with the name of your dog does that mean we expect to see you with front row tickets to watching Roger Federer at the Australian Open this year yeah I I would love that Um, probably my absolute dream in life is to meet Roger Federer so um, any opportunity I could get to to achieve that um, I'll probably probably be there yeah and finally, I believe you're an ambassador for the Orangutan Project, Redheads for Redheads. Yeah, as I said, I'm a very proud redhead, and um, you know it's pretty sad to see what's happening to the well, not only the orangutans, but so many, um, so many of wildlife at the moment, particularly with the fires going on. So, um, really, anything I can do to get behind, um, you know, wildlife. Uh, yeah, again, pretty keen, keen to do that, and. Yeah, they're pretty adorable creatures, those redheads, so got to do it. Well, Georgia, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. We wish you all the very best for the 2020 VFLW season with Essendon. And fingers crossed that hopefully we'll see you putting your hand up this October to be playing in the 2021 AFLW season. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. And once again, we thank Georgia for being so very generous with her time. Let's head up north to Darwin, where they're playing the NTFL Women's Premier League over the summer. Uh, We're already about two-thirds of the way through the season, and it's very even with the top six spots all up for grabs, including a couple of losses to the fancied favourites, Waratah. And joining us on the line to talk about NT Women's Football from the Facebook page, NT Football with Jackson Clark the one and only Jackson Clark. Jackson, how are you? Very good, thanks, mate. How's things? Great down here in Melbourne. A bit of smoke around, but uh, you're used to the warm weather up there and the football has been hot to date up in the NTFL Women's Premier League. Yeah, it has. It's a really good season so far. Obviously, a bit of a... 
I don't know the word I would use to describe the season so far, but it's been a little bit different with the NT Thunder women's side disbanding, of course. So a few women footballers, I suppose, trying to find their feet and work out what the next 12 months looks like in their future in football. But we've had some great local action. So Waratah, who have been perennial premiers over the last 10 years, or basically since the inception of the women's competition up here, they are two games in front of everyone on top of the ladder, and they'll be tough to beat. Uh, not unstoppable by any means, but tough to beat. And shortly behind them is the Buffaloes, who sit on eight wins and a draw. But they lost their best player in good terms, though, Michaela Roberts, who was drafted to Collingwood uh, late last year. So Buffaloes without probably their best player over the last couple of years, but still not without a chance. And closely behind them, you have Southern Districts and Palmerston. So a very close competition this year. No real team struggling. Big River Hawks haven't had a win just yet, but a new team from Catherine, it's always... Uh, going to be a tough sort of couple of months into the competition. But they'll find their feet. You talk about Waratah, two losses, and they've both come after the uh, Christmas break. Uh, actually, one before the Christmas break, one after. They went down to Southern Districts, and over the weekend, they went down to Nightcliff as well. So all of a sudden, the cat's being thrown amongst the pigeons. A cat has been thrown amongst the pigeons, but... I think uh, a little bit to do with that could be how quick we have come back from the Christmas break. So it's very hard to tell, not just in the women's competition up here in the NTFL, but also the junior competitions and the senior competitions. What happens is there's almost like a season of two seasons in one, really, the post-Christmas and the pre-Christmas season, where clubs are really just trying to establish their squads and work out who they have, and then things ramp up post-Christmas. So I think the next couple of weeks will be a real determining factor on how the season finishes there. But if I was a Waratah supporter, I wouldn't be too worried right now. They've got very good systems, very good people involved at that football club, and they'll be a force to be reckoned with come the business end of the year. And the great thing to see is, as much as Waratahs won all the flags, we know in the earlier run of their flags, it was a very lopsided competition. Them and one or two others, such as Darwin Buffett, always at the top of the table. It's, it's shaken up this year. We're seeing the likes of St. Mary's and Pint. They're just one win off breaking into the top Top six. Nightcliff's trying to hang on to six. Mind you, Nightcliff were the perennial losers in years gone by. They're sitting six and six. Wanderers, well, they could either sneak up to as high as second or they could fall out. They're only two games clear of Pint. Well, that's the beauty of the competition. Really, any team can win it. And like you said, unfortunately, with the women's competition, we've loved to promote the competition in previous seasons, but it's been hard to write anything meaningful about that when you have one team being Waratah just smashing the other teams and basically cruising to a 10-goal win in each premiership season. So this year, there is a lot of variety. Any team can win it, really. I know that's a little bit of a cliche, but you just saw on the weekend uh, some upset results. So finals then throws another cat amongst the pigeon, especially up in Darwin, where things change so much with work commitments. It's a very transient lifestyle up in Darwin. And we must remember that our women's footballers up here aren't getting paid a big salary to play football or anything like that. So all it takes is a couple of job opportunities elsewhere or people move into state or get injured and the competition can really be shaken up. Are we seeing more elite footballers stay in the NTFL uh, Women's Premier League and play more games there? I would have expected in the past with some that would have had commitments with the Adelaide Crows when that SANT partnership was happening and of course when there was the NT Thunder and that attached academies many would have been on a a game load balance yeah for sure look it's there has been a couple of standout performances and we'll always lose players uh, to the AFLW and that's only going to be a good thing of course uh, Danielle Ponter down there now at Adelaide Crows has been a really star footballer of the competition and we keep adding to that list with uh, Michaela Roberts from Buffalo being picked up by Collingwood as mentioned earlier so of course we're going to have star players leave and star players come it's going to be a bit of a uh, life cycle of the footballer in NT I suppose but we've had some standout players so far in this season. In front of the goals, Ebony Miller for Southern Districts has been a real standout 35 goals so far. Arthurina Marine for Palmerston have kicked 22 and of course you've got Waratah pair Lauren O'Shea and Lisa Roberts. They've been around forever really but they've been just such champion footballers over a long, long time and they're still playing very good football. Absolutely and you've also got Another American that's imported to the Nightcliffe Tigers. You had Jess Blecker over the past two seasons, who's now returned home to the USA. And another American has come out in Rosemary Clough. Yeah, I noticed that on the weekend too. I was scrolling through Twitter and I have an uh, American friend over there who I got in contact with over the weekend and he is the media manager there for USAFL. And 
he alerted me to the fact through his tweet that another footballer was up there in the NT. Firstly, a huge effort for her to play just 24 hours after hopping off the plane. I can't even imagine. You're just about spending that long on a plane or at least in airports. So to play football in the heat that we have in Darwin is just an absolutely tremendous effort. But it's great to see. I mean, whether it be a uh, women or a male footballer, to see them, that whole US AFL connection players coming here and hopefully we see a few more Australian players going over and developing the game over in the US but it's really great to see and hopefully she enjoys not only the football aspect of Australia but also the lifestyle and the culture that uh, that Australia brings. The other American of course over there is April Lewis. She she was tied to the S and the VFLW program last year. She's been named three times in the best uh, with the Southern District's Crocs and just looking through some of the better players uh, like you were saying Emma, Emma Lou uh, Wolseley at the moment named in the best eight times Isha Romberg named in the best eight times for Palmerston so a couple of names up there that will be vying for the NTFL women's best and fairest they've got a few more rounds left to make an impression on the umpires yeah look I think the player that I've noticed the most from watching games I'm not too sure where she is on the list of best players there but Mattia Breed who plays for Southern District she was a Buffett's junior and won a couple of league medals in those grades there but to describe her as a footballer is a little bit tricky. Picture, say, a Dustin Martin style. Basically, uh, she has a rugby background. Her family does have a rugby background, I believe. And, yeah, she's just a bulldozer of a footballer. She converts well in front of goal, usually, uh, and just a powerhouse midfielder that I think is probably one of, if not the most damaging footballers in the competition so far this year. She's a Southern District footballer. But like you said, you mentioned a couple of players there. It's going to be a tough uh, best and fairest to win, especially coming from Southern Districts where she has a lot of teammates who may still vote for her. And also you've got those NT Thunder representatives, Lisa Roberts, uh, named to the best seven times down at Waratah. Uh, Janet Baird, named to the best seven times down at Palmerston Magpies. Sophia Malboy is represented NT at under-18s levels, uh, named to the best seven times as well as Chant- uh, Chantal miskin Pia, who played for the NT Thunder and the VFLW. She's been named in the best six times. And also there, you've got Michaela Ward, who's been named in the best six times at Nightcliffe. Michaela, of course, is the Western Bulldogs VFLW captain who played in a uh, grand final just a few months ago. Well, there you go. Clearly, I on my football page, right, I probably neglect women's football too much, regretfully, but I have highlighted how many AFL players, or ex-AFL players, rather, have played in the men's competition up here, and we get about 30 to 40 to 50, it sort of fluctuates. But we've had that number for the last, every year for the last 10 years. And I guess it shows that the women's competition can attract some quality footballers as well. And that's just great. I think uh, the more and more footballers that we get up here from down south, from Victoria, these football strongholds, the more it will develop our women up here and our young female footballers that look up to these women. Because the growth in the game culturally up in the Northern Territory is huge. Uh, I remember, you know, 10 years ago when I was going through school, it was, very rare to see a, a female kicking a football or saying that they were playing football on the weekend or practicing to try and get better at football because they wanted to make an NT team where now uh, I'm a school teacher as well and I see this and I see their ambitions and it gives them something to aim for, okay? And it's not just for the uh, the girls in Darwin and the NT, it's also the wider communities as well, like uh, in our remote regions as well. So it's, a, it's just a great outcome having these champion footballers come up from Victoria and impart their knowledge. Well, we're not too far away from finals, so we look forward to catching up with you in a few weeks, Jackson, to find out who were the six teams that made it through to the postseason, the NTFL Women's Premier League. Before we let you go, where can people find your work if they want to read it online? Yeah, no worries. Uh, NT Football with Jackson Clark, which is on Facebook, and I have an Instagram page too, at NT Footy. Now that you give me that plug, I better start putting up some more women's football content. So thank you very much for that. Absolutely. They'll be looking out for facebook.com forward slash NT Football. Jackson, thanks very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSCN Carnival, and enjoy the rest of the footy season up there on the top end. No worries, mate. Thank you, and uh, best of luck with everyone battling those fires down there. My thoughts are with you. Don't touch that dial. We'll have more Women's Australian Rules football on RSN Carnival in just a moment. Been playing for a while Sweet kicks Cos footy makes you smile Sweet kicks football If you're getting ready for the trials Gotta go the extra mile Sweet Kicks Football Not always hearing that sweet sound when you kick the ball? Need to develop your footwork or explosive speed? Want to take the next step in your footy career? 
then you need Sweet Kicks. More info on our Facebook page or go to our website, sweetkicksfootballacademy.com.au. Gotta go the extra mile. Sweet Kicks Football. This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, digital radio in Melbourne via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. Time to head overseas to the United States. The USAFL have announced the dates and locations for their regional and national tournament for 2020. And that's why we've got on the line their media manager, also marriage celebrant and now expectant father, Brian Barish. Brian, how are you? Hey, Peter, how are you? I don't know that I've ever had so many titles uh, after my name, but Happy New Year to you. We need an explanation on two things. First of all, congratulations, I believe, yourself and your wife, Chelsea, are expecting in the middle of this year. Yes, uh, June of 2020, we're expecting our first child. Uh, very exciting. And, uh, you know, I've always been told that recruiting is very important to promoting the game of Australian football overseas. So, you know, it's best to do it in-house. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, we know it's an unusual thing having an American calling Australian rules football, but you've added another string to your bow now as a marriage celebrant. Um, I had two really good friends of mine get married on New Year's and they asked me to uh, preside over that. And um, so what's funny is myself and Mason Cox both uh, celebrated marriages on the same day. Who would have thunk it? That's a story for him, I guess. (laughs) I would say that's a great trivia question, but Mason's already beaten you in that aspect on Jeopardy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he's made it on Jeopardy, and I'm like 0 for 7 trying to make it on there. But I did meet my wife at a Jeopardy audition, so at least I have that. <laughs> Let's talk about the United States Australian Football League for 2020. Of course, in one of our uh, most recent podcasts before we went on our break, we were there at the 2019 Nationals, which were back in Sarasota, Florida. But before we get to the regionals, I want to talk about the Nationals because we're going from East Coast to West Coast. Yep, uh, the 2020 USAFL Nationals will be at the Silver Lake Soccer Complex, which is just in the outskirts of a city called Ontario in Southern California. Ontario is about uh, about 50 miles or so to the east of Los Angeles. It has its own airport. Um, I've heard really good things about the Silver Lakes Complex. They've hosted a couple of USAFL regular season games with the Orange County Giants being nearby. Um, heard nothing but great things about the facility there. I know that the league is looking forward to being back on the West Coast. Um, One thing that's worth mentioning is we are looking at continuing this cycle of uh, going through the region. So going back to the central region in 2021 and then coming back to the East Coast the year after that. But uh, really excited. Like I said, really good venue. And hopefully we had the record number of teams, especially on the women's side, when we had eight Division One teams and five Division Two teams for a total of 13. Hopefully uh, the location will entice uh, that kind of numbers to the women's side and beyond uh, next this season. And of course, uh, for Australians that might go, you fly into LAX and it might be one or two hours drive over across to Ontario, California. And even better, uh, there is a flight out of Ontario, California to Las Vegas for those that might want to hit up Vegas after the tournament. <laughs> you know, if you want to add a little something, something to it, it's it's just a, just a quick hop, hop, skip and a jump across the desert there. Let's talk about the regional tournaments this year and the cycle throughout uh, Eastern, Central and Western. Now, it's actually the Central region that's going to kick things off this year. Yeah, it's going to start June 11th in uh, just outside of Dallas in Arlington, Texas. And those of you who are fans of American sports will recognize that as the home city of the Major League Baseball team, the Texas Rangers, and the brand new stadium or newish stadium of the Dallas Cowboys. They play in the city of Arlington. It's the first time that uh, Dallas has hosted a USAFL event, and the home team there is the Dallas Dingoes. Uh, they do have a couple of players on the women's side that have contributed uh, to the Texas Heat, um, and the hope is is that they'll be able. This will help them build that number alongside a team that is mostly made up of the Houston Lone Stars and one or two players uh, of the uh, uh, Austin Crows. Uh, One thing to look out for is um, the Denver Lady Bulldogs will will 
be making the trip down. We'll explain why that's a factor in a moment. Uh, there's a new team in Denver called the Centennial Tigers, which they are looking to make the trip down. The Minnesota Freeze as well, and then players from those clubs that are up and coming, North Star Blue Ox in Chicago, as well as Nashville as well. And the other thing we should be maybe keeping an eye out for, depending on the WNBA fixture, of course, Dallas being a hometown there for Erin Phillips. Yeah, it'd be great to have her involved. Of course, uh, those of you who have listened to the great interview that Peter did uh, at the end of last season with Aaron here at Nationals, um, you know, she definitely wants to be more involved. If the schedule allows, I'm sure we'll see her as well. Um, It'd be great to see her get involved, especially as we mentioned, the team and the the program in Texas is growing. So um, hopefully we'll be able to, to have her on hand. Now, we go to the East Coast on June 27th for the Eastern Regionals. Yeah, that'll be held in Cincinnati, Ohio. Now, the interesting thing is that Cincinnati, their team is the Cincinnati Dockers, uh, and they're made up of a larger club uh, for USAFL match purposes called the Ohio Valley River Rats. Um, They're actually a central club. However, since Cincinnati is on the East Coast, and it's not terribly far from Columbus, home of the Cats, which are an Eastern Regional team. Um, Cincinnati uh, had two players last year, one of whom, Bronwyn Smith, has returned back to Perth. Um, it'll be they have, the other uh, young lady was, was Australian as well. So the hope is is that the Dockers, as well as the larger uh, community there in, across the Ohio Valley, Ohio River Valley, will be able to prop up and, and uh, commit some more players. Then you have the Columbus Cats, who are uh, this will be the closest that they've had regionals to their home. And then you have uh, the New York Magpies, and one really watch out, of course, will be the DC Eagles. I think we had mentioned how far they had come; they're one or two players away from making the step up to Division One. This might be the first year that they actually field an entire side at regionals and then hopefully at nationals. And of course, you look at the smaller clubs as well: the Baltimore Dockers, the uh, Division two national champions alongside those other clubs, the Philadelphia Hawks and the Boston Lady Demons, as well as uh, possibly some more from the South as well. And then finally, the Western Regional, as you said, it's a little bit complicated. It's a central team hosting the Western Regionals. Yeah, it'll be in Westminster, Colorado, which is a suburb of Denver, excuse me, and, and uh, as those of you who followed the USAFL will notice a couple of things. One, they hosted the Central Regional last year, uh, did Denver, and the Bulldogs are a Central Regional team. Now, they're not moving back to the West. They are still playing in the Central Region. Um, however, this comes down to availability of venues, uh, as well as uh, cost considerations. Also, remembering, of course, that the International Cup is happening. So from a league standpoint and from the team standpoint, it's easier to travel to Denver than it is to some of the other clubs. Uh, Also, again, consider the fact that we're looking for uh, fields that can hold this sort of tournament. And and, uh, the West Coast, the the Western region, has uh, all of these teams. Westminster, Colorado, the city park there, has three fields, so they should be able to have it. On the women's side, as we mentioned, Denver and the new team in Centennial uh, looking to come down to the central region. Of course, they'll be in the in their homes, the hometown there, so they'll play there. Um, and then you have the two teams that battled it out in the last two grand finals on the national level, San Francisco and Seattle. Portland Sockeyes will want to make some noise, as will the Sacramento Suns uh, as well. And then, of course, the Arizona Hawks without Danny Marshall, of course, but uh, they have a lot of really good players, and then the L.A. Dragons as well. So should be good on the West. That's being held on July 11th. So again, June 13th for the Central Regional in Arlington, Texas. June 27th for the Eastern Regional in Cincinnati, Ohio. And then June 11th for the Western Regional in Westminster, Colorado. Happening in October is the Ontario, California venue for the Nationals. But in between those things, we've got a thing sandwiched in there while we're away on our break. The dates were announced, Brian, for the AFL International Cup. Yep, uh, they will be held from um, July 25th to August 8th, the Sunshine Coast of Queensland. It'll be the first time, one, that there will be International Cup games held in the state of Queensland. And second, this will be the first time that 
the entire tournament is being held outside of Melbourne. Um, there are some uh, interesting uh I guess, reactions to this. Um, the grand final, uh, the both the uh, men's Division One grand final and the women's grand final will be held as curtain raisers and curtain cl- uh, closers, if you will, uh, to the Lions game, that Brisbane Lions game at the GABA that will be held that day uh, on August 8th. So that's exciting. And of course, the uh, beautiful facility there at Maruchador. Uh, so long way to go until then, but the teams are just about ready on the women's side. The Freedom, uh, their 28-woman uh, roster was announced by Christina Lakata at National. So uh, we'll see how far they go, but long way to the build-up to that. And we should mention that the Freedom are coming out, but the Liberty aren't. In the previous uh, couple of International Cups, the Liberty, which was a development side, came out. In 2014, they participated in the International Cup tournament. In 2017, they had a five-game tour of Melbourne, but there's now different plans for the Liberty development side. Yeah, they're aiming to head to England in 2021 as part of the Transatlantic Cup that'll be held, and and it's not just on the on the women's side, but the men's side as well. But the Liberty are expected to be a part of that, alongside the Freedom, who will be taking on uh, the teams there in Great Britain. Excellent. Uh, we look forward to that tournament 2021, but we've got to focus on the things on 2020. Again, the USA Freedom women taking part in the International Cup there on the Sunshine Coast at Maroochydore for those that want to attend. Look out for them and possibly look out for one Brian Barrish trying to catch some sun in Queensland. <laughs> you know, the problem with catching sun is that I burn really quickly. I mean, just, I, I, just, it's not a good scene. So we'll have the a bit of what what was it that Richie Benno used to say? The slip, slop, slap. good call there just before i go actually i should mention um just very quickly that there is another american woman playing in australia in fact she just played on the weekend Yes, Rosemary Clo uh, from the Sacramento Suns uh, played in the U.S. Freedom in that International Cup in 2017, has been named to the 2020 squad, landed in Darwin on Saturday, was on the field for the Nightcliff Tigers on Sunday, and helped lead them to a win in their first game. This is the same club, by the way, that Jess Blecker played uh, in her two stints up in Darwin. And this is a much better team than the team that uh, – that Jess had played for, uh, which he played for Nightcliff. I don't think they had won a game in the two seasons that uh, Jess had played. This team this year uh, is six and six after this win are the Nightcliff Tigers, and they have a shot at the final at finals football. It's great to see Rosie being put into the middle of all that. And we should mention with the Nightcliff Tigers last year, they had a cameo appearance. I think two games from Ebony Marinoff of the Adelaide Crows. And this year, they've got in addition to the side from the Western Bulldogs from the VFLW team that played alongside Danny Marshall. Uh, the Western Bulldogs VFLW captain Michaela Ward is actually up there in Darwin playing alongside Rosemary Clough there at the Nightcliff Tigers. Yeah, I was wondering about that because I had seen her involved with that as uh, the celebrations as well. And uh, it's great to have that uh, experience. And I'm sure Michaela will give a lot of uh, her knowledge on to Rosie, who has already said that the Tigers have uh, instantly accepted her as part of the team. And that's great to see. And uh, we'll have to see how it goes. Uh, uh, Rosie is looking at possibly uh, continuing down in Victoria after the the southern summer is over and we'll have to see how far it goes but that's great to have her on board and also just quickly look out for april lewis another american she was of course tied to essendon vflw last year she is playing uh, up in the australian summer with southern districts in the same competition the ntfl women's brian thank you very much for joining us here at women's australian rules football on rsn carnival and we look forward to speaking to you throughout 2020 Looking forward to it. Thanks, Pete. And that concludes Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. For the first time in 2020, we'll be back every Wednesday evening, 6 p.m. on digital radio in Melbourne via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. And on Thursday mornings, be available as a podcast via the iHeartRadio website and app via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud and Spotify. Don't forget, you can find us online at warfradio.com. Also on Twitter, 
slash WARF Radio and Facebook.com forward slash WARF Radio. Until next week, I'm Peter Holden and it's bye for now.